What's up? We got another one with Sarah Swain. We had her on episode 15, and she instantly became our political BFF. She's amazing, and I'm so happy to have her back on the show today to talk about bills. This episode is powered by Antienna Jewelry. Mother's Day is coming up. Shop early and use the code KID20 for 20% off storewide. Okay, let's dive in. If you're a political junkie or if you're just totally out to lunch but want to learn about the political system, this is it. This is for you. Sarah Swain. I'm back. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. I see your walls are almost intact now. Yeah, it looked pretty good a couple days ago until all of these <laughs> like literally fell off on me. <laughs> I saw. It's <laughs> <was> like, wow. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. And then I thought I fixed it. And then I came in the next day and it was, they were all down. And I thought, oh all over God. the floor. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's a cool little pod you got though. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, it'll be great. I, it's not finished right now but if I'm like Sarah's not gonna care no (laughs) oh well thank you for making the time how you been the last couple weeks pretty good I mean all things considered it is kind of a strange question to answer these days like how are you and I'm good honestly um world is heavy but yeah uh, I'm feeling a lot more hopeful than I have even though about just about everything in our world right now suggests that I shouldn't be feeling that way What's the metric that makes you feel hopeful when you shouldn't? You know, honestly, it's. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. What that I get it, I, and I don't even know if this is something that's measurable per se, um, but more so just a general feeling that more people are getting involved uh, and being part of solutions than I think we've seen in our generation collectively, and that gives me hope every single day. Uh, people are learning. People are taking time out of their day to digest otherwise seemingly boring political information, um, looking for ways to get involved, uh, seeking to understand how to better communicate with their MPs, um, watching painful sessions in the House of Commons and the Senate cha- chambers. Uh, it's just amazing to see this many people taking responsibility for the democracy that we have. And I think it's, it's pretty significant because I believe people for the most part thought democracy was just something that we would always have. And therefore it's okay. I don't really need to know what's going on. I don't really need to understand how this works because we have a democracy and we're safe here in Canada. While all countries usually have a democracy until they don't. Um, so to see so many people understanding that now and, and recognizing the importance and the responsibility of exercising our civic duties in a democracy, that lights me up. Well, like you said, it's, it's boring mm-hmm. and it's exhausting to learn <laughs> and to follow along. There's so many moving parts and, and I, I think it's, it's because of people like you, they're able to translate what's happening explain it, make it palatable, make it actually fun and interesting. I mean, I've had so many people reach out to me going, oh, I'm so glad I heard Sarah on your podcast because she is awesome. I'm like, no, she's she's our new BFF. (laughs) You need someone, you need someone who can say, okay, guys, like like what you're doing, all this craziness is happening. Let me explain it to you step-by-step. Yeah. I really feel like as invested as I am, I'm a complete moron when it comes to like the bills and what's happening and the political process and that part I'm just not good at, which is why I'm so excited that I, that I was introduced to you and hence this episode. I'm hoping you can kind of tell us what's going on. I know there's a bunch of bills. I feel like I should know this stuff, but I don't. But this is the process we're all in, right? It's even just having these conversations is what helps everybody just inch by inch, get a little bit more involved because if you were to wake up one morning and say, this is the week I'm going to go all in on Canadian politics and learn everything there is to know, your eyes would be bleeding by day three and you would probably bounce. You're like, nope, I'm just going to leave this to people who I hope know what they're doing and walk away. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's these baby steps, right? And, and if we think back to um, our time in uh, elementary school, high school, the absolute lack of education other than uh, like a half credit for civics. I don't know if you had that where you are, but we had a half credit in Ontario for civics. And I think it was 
coupled with something like home economics, Mm -hmm. as if to say this is not significant enough to do a full class curriculum on, we're going to give it half a credit. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about that so much over the last few months, um, as I reflect on like, how the hell did we get here? How, how, how did we end up in such hot water as Canadians? And I don't blame people for not understanding this stuff. I don't, I don't hold it against anyone who has never lifted a finger when it comes to our, our political playing field, because it wasn't positioned to us mm-hmm. in our more sponge worthy years where we're absorbing all this learning and education in the school system. It wasn't positioned to us in a way that, you know, shouted from the rooftops, Hey, your life and your freedom depend on you understanding how our democracy works. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly was not a glaring memory from my time in, uh, in high school as it being positioned that way. So I get it. I get why people don't dive in. I get why historically people have said, oh, I don't, I don't vote. What's the point? It's, I'm just choosing between the lesser of two evils or uh, they're all the same or you can't trust any of them or you know whatever the dialogue is. Or maybe people just go to the polls because their spouse votes this way or their parents have historically voted this way or they get swept up in the latest headlines that are smearing this person over here and like oh I can't vote for that person because the media or whoever says they're bad so I should vote over here and there's such a lack of understanding about what we're actually voting into power but I'm so grateful in a super painful backhanded way that these last two years have unfolded the way that they have, because it has been an invitation for all Canadians to open our eyes and uh, recognize just how far we have moved from what I think we all thought our democracy was here in Canada and how much effort it takes to actually nourish it, keep our democracy healthy, keep our democracy alive and keep our politicians accountable because they've been running on some pretty hard set default patterns Mm. um, historically where, you know, we may or may not head to the polls and say, okay, I did my part as a citizen. I voted and the rest is up to the politicians. Uh, And then we kind of just shut our eyes off to things for the next four years until it's time to go to the polls again. But it's that time in between that's so, so critical, just as much so, if not as much as uh, election day itself. Well, Sarah, you're going to lose all respect for me right now. (laughs) Kid, what are you going to tell me? I am guilty of just voting for the person with the nicest hair. (laughs) Kid, you're breaking my heart. I didn't know any better. You know, you is see, it be, the, the is it because you don't have hair? Like, was it hair envy? Like, is that what it was? Something like that. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, the first time Justin was in, I voted for him. I'm like, wow, look at this guy. He's like young, good looking, sort of like that, that perfect, you know, it's like the, it's like how people felt about when Obama first hit the scene. Yes, like, absolutely. K back in the day, you know, you look for that really just awesome looking cool yep. guy. And yeah, I've done it without even really knowing what I was doing. I mean, but I, I get it. At, yeah, I get it. He, his publicity team during that election um, knew exactly what they were doing. Like um, we make, we make decisions based on emotion absolutely. almost all the time, how mm-hmm. we feel. And you see this guy with the long flow and he was just like charming. And slick. You know, it feels good. And you. He was charming. He was slick. He was uh, modern when we were coming off an era of Stephen Harper and the, you know, the idea of this is the old boys club and it's for old white guys. So you get this young slick guy coming in talking about the importance of feminism and saying all the right things. Um, And here we are. Right. (laughs) And I think that's a big lesson for a lot of people though, right? Because um, we have to look beyond the publicity stunts. We have to look beyond what their um, really highly skilled public relations teams are able to do with these politicians in the eyes of the public. And this goes for all parties. 
So something that we can ask ourselves when we're, even when, if people are paying attention to the CPC leadership race right now, um, obviously all politicians are going to uh, tout their power and, and what makes them special and what makes them great and what makes them best fit for the job. But an important question to ask is what are they not saying? And if we can at least ask ourselves that question, um, it helps to remove bias that is naturally instilled in us uh, and just be able to approach things with, or, and more importantly, our decisions with um, a lot more logic and pragmatism, um, because I think we get really swept up just like you and so many others, kid. Um, that's exactly why Trudeau got into power was because of his uh, brilliant um, posture and, and way of showing up in the public space. He captured people's hearts mm. and I'll give him credit. He's, he's was <laughs> really fantastic at doing that. Um, he has since turned into a very different character um, and personality, whether this is the real version of him or, or if this is what he's been reduced down to, I don't know if anyone will ever know. Um, but it's important to understand policies and platforms, uh, just as much as a person's likability factor. Do you look at these politicians like characters? Like it helps. A, it helps sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. Um, cause it, it can be really stifling, um, to just watch the same old rhetoric, the same old speeches, the same old thing. Um, so anything that's going to help uh, bring any type of palpability or digestibility into um, just your observations and the time you're taking to watch these folks helps. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your process on, or what's a process maybe you can even recommend to someone who's just waking up and going, yeah, you know what? I need to get involved in this and this is important. Mm -hmm. Do you have a process of how you yeah. Like, is it, is it like, like a, a wall with like pieces of paper and articles and strings and pins and like, okay, I'm going to solve. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes. Yes. Especially when I'm explaining things, I, you know, that Jiffy where the guy's just like madly pointing at the whiteboard. Yeah. Sometimes I really do feel that way. Um, but I think the, the, the danger of what we're caught up in right now, uh, is that so many people are looking for a solution to the very specific concern that we all have right now. And I say all generally speaking, but that is of uh, the infringement of our freedoms and the fear of what we may be walking into with the 2030 re reset, the concept of the great reset. <clears throat> I look at candidates across a number of different um, ways. So obviously this is a very big one for me this year because I was directly impacted as someone who made a medical decision that went against what the government preferred that I do. Um, I suffered as a result and my rights and freedoms were undeniably restricted. And that, that is my greatest concern right now. Hands down, won't deny that. But there's other factors that go into this for me, and this could be different for other people. There's personal value systems um, that I think uh, every individual should look at within themselves. My two uh, embedded in my DNA values are freedom and integrity. There's a lot of other beautiful values that people have. There's a lot of other values that I also allow to help me make decisions, but the ones that are absolutely unshakably embedded in me are freedom and integrity but they may be different for someone else and therefore could alter the way they see the exact same candidate that I'm looking at, right? Other things are, what's their leadership ability? Do they have um, the ability to command a room? Are they taken seriously by people? Is this someone that we would want to be representing us on the world stage? Um, do they have a heart? Like, are they a human being? Can I trust them? Um, what is their policy and platform? What are they running on? What are their campaign promises or commitments? So there's a lot of different variables. And I think I put this on my Instagram now that I'm saying this out loud. Um, the very last point was, would I sit down and have a beer with this person? Right. And like, that's, I'm not going to lie. If the answer is no to that one, they're probably not going to hit the other ticky box. Maybe they'll be like, okay, yeah, we can take them. They, they would do good in like a world war situation, but like, I probably wouldn't sit down and have beer with them. Right. <laughs> so those are all the different factors um, that 
I consider, and, and it's, it's a little astonishing to me sometimes when people say, this is who I'm voting for right out of the gates. And it's like, well, how, how do you know that though? Right. And, and we can get super excited about people and uh, we can get really hopeful with people, especially if, if they've just dropped a super compelling speech, or maybe they hit the nail on the head with something that I really needed to hear from a politician, but I get concerned about how definitive we are with our vote prior to their campaigns even being finished. So I always encourage people, hear them all out. There's things for me, um, like freedom is, is one of my core values. So as an example of uh, a politician that has crossed a boundary for me and they're no longer in my consideration would be Jean Charest, simply because because of the fact he he violated a hard line for me uh, over the past week about talking uh, specifically uh, about um, the, the freedom convoy and, and how we were all illegal and need to be held accountable. And I'm like, wow, that's actually you maybe maybe you're good at this. Maybe you're good at that. But that's a hard line for me. And they're now out of the running. Um, it would take a huge swing for him in a very public way to regain that trust factor for me. Mm. But uh, I'm someone who, especially with the CPC leadership race, I'm watching all of them. Um, it's obvious that Polyev is a front runner. Uh, and if the vote were, be, were to be today, uh, he would probably have my vote. But the vote isn't today. It's not until September, and there's a lot of things that can happen between now and then. There's a lot of traction that other candidates can build. There's a lot of runway that other candidates can score more points on my system in order to tip the scale away from one candidate and start putting me in the direction of another. And I just think it's really important that we uh, stay open about these things because the definitive decision-making before we have truly heard everybody or understood their platform or what their priorities are, it kind of just goes hand in hand with what got us here in the first place. What about for the busy person who's just, I don't know, some people work in two jobs, kids, all that stuff. Um, if they want to start diving in, like, where do you go to watch these people? I mean, do you watch the news or are you on their websites or Instagram accounts? Do you have a, a place? <laughs> do you watch the news? <laughs> I yeah. see shaking your head. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because um, so many people ask me, what, how did I get into politics? And I was that kid that grew up in a very uh, news conducive environment. Every night we sit down at, at dinner around six o'clock, we'd watch the news. That's just what we did. And then my dad would rant about politics and that's just what we did. Um, so it was kind of always ingrained in me. It actually wasn't until 2020 that I myself turned off the news. It was just simply paying attention to how we felt watching the news. We would always feel uh, anxious or we'd to, you know, we'd be 8.30 in the morning, finish our coffee, turn off the news, and we'd be all fired up. Like, mm. <laughs> we'd just be raring to go, yeah. angry about something. And we're like, we should just turn this off. Like, why are we starting our day like this? And as a result of turning off the news, that is what played a big role in my brain having the capacity to take in information that would not have otherwise been presented to me in the media. So I think it's integral for people who, who wanna have a larger understanding or scope of uh, just coming to terms with what we're facing right now, turning off the news is step one. So I, I don't recommend people go to the news for the latest updates on politics, at least without a high level of discernment and an ability to understand the natural bias that the news uh, company is going to be slanted with. And not enough people understand those biases and therefore take what they're seeing as factual information, even though if we take the CBC as an example, they're heavily tilted towards more leftist political ideologies and a lot more motivated to keep left government because they know the right will defund them. So it's in their best interest to make sure the conservatives don't gain any public credibility or traction. Mm. Because if they do and the conservatives get in power, a lot of them are running with the campaign saying we will defund the CBC. So why on earth would the CBC 
give information that would support or uphold the conservatives. That's a bias. So without understanding those things going in, if, if someone, the average person is just watching CBC and they say, this is what happened, this is what they've decided, blah, 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 whatever the issue is, you go, wow, I never knew that. Or I just learned about this, about the liberals, or I just learned this bad thing about this conservative leader. And they take that as fact without mm. considering the full story or motives behind it. So to answer My your question, not the news. <laughs> My wife was almost in an accident in an Uber this week because she got in the Uber and the Uber driver had CBC on. And then my wife kind of said, uh, did you know that the CBC got like a billion dollars from the government last year? And he went, no, and swerved. And I said, honey, you got to be careful dropping that kind of stuff with the, <laughs> the guy's driving his, his Uber. You could, kill, you could have been killed, but he had no idea. He was in, he was in shock. Like, I think the average person doesn't get it. Like a billion. I think it's like 1.2 or 1.4. point 1.2 or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, that's state funded media. And, yeah. and why, <laughs> why we're not aggressively opposing state funded media across the board, regardless of what your political viewpoints may or may not be, um, speaks to the ignorance of the general public, just like the Uber driver being like, what? This is news to me that the CBC is literally now basically employed by the liberal government. Uh, those are, are scary forms of yeah. politics that we see in other countries um, that uh, completely do everything in their power to control the thought process of the citizens in those countries. I think Canadians have a really difficult time, and, and I know the term cognitive dissonance has been beaten to death over the last few years, but to recognize that state-funded media is uh, considered a, a reliable source of information for the general population should scare everyone. Mm -hmm. Okay, so step one is turn off the news. Step one. <laughs> Which I love. Okay. So step two, where do, you, where do you then try to find the information where you make your... They don't make that easy either. Um, there's a number of sites online. The, the fastest one to go to is parl.ca. So P-A-R-L.ca. Uh, it'll take you then to the House of Commons or over to the Senate. Um, Sorry, say that again, P-A-R-L? Yep, .ca. .ca, okay. Yep, Parl, short for Parliament. Okay. Now, the ease, if I'm thinking, okay, if I didn't know anything about politics, where would I start? I would probably start by understanding what is at least up for conversation this week in the House of Commons. Um, those are our elected officials. It's where our uh, members of parliament that we elected into power go and sit and talk and argue and <laughs> act like a bunch of children um, in the name of doing what's best for Canadians. Um, so you can actually see an agenda what's coming up for the week. And if, if I was going to start anywhere, I've never been on any of these sites before, I would at least start there say, okay, they're going to talk about this bill that I heard someone on a podcast talk about. So maybe it's bill C11 or something like that. It'll tell you what time that conversation is happening. And there you, from there, you can go on to cpac.ca um, and watch those live proceedings. And I think that's, even though, my God, the, the House of Commons is painful at best um, to sit through, especially when topics are, are near and dear to your heart uh, and things that you find very important or critical to whether, whether it's the nation or yourself as an individual, it can be very difficult to watch because you're looking at things from your point of view and, and you would hope that everyone would agree. Um, and that's just not how politics works. That's the whole point of opposing parties. Um, but it at least helps start to get a little bit more information on the real and true dialogue that's occurring about a particular topic, because what people will largely be presented with is some sort of media appearance or media speech from either a party leader or the PM himself, the deputy PM or the minister, um, one of the cabinet ministers about a particular bill they introduce. And again, it's always gonna be very slanted and the opposing party arguments or points of debate aren't going to be captured in those media appearances. And I think those nuances um, 
and understanding of what pushback may or may not be on a particular issue just simply helps people form more well-rounded thoughts uh, and get a better, more holistic understanding about the issue that's on the table. And it takes time. And I, I get a lot of people asking me, like, how do I do this if I don't have time? And, and I, hate, I hate to be the person to break it to everyone, but we have to make time for this. Even if it's or just listen to Sarah Swain's podcast, I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> I'll give you the Coles notes in the form of ranting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things. If, if, even if everyone could just commit to 30 minutes a week and think, mm-hmm. okay, if there's one thing I can give my attention to this week, let me pull up the agenda, see what's on the docket. Maybe you're working when the debate's occurring. You can always watch the replay or maybe a new bill was just introduced and you're like, oh, geez, okay, what's this one? The title's kind of concerning. Maybe spend that 30 minutes that week pulling the bill, same website, uh, Pearl.ca will take you over to the house, which is technically called ourcommons.ca. Um, and from there you can pull up the bill and just take a quick read. Um, but it, it's gotta be something that we start prioritizing, um, and taking responsibility for because democracy is the responsibility of the people. It's not the government that's responsible for democracy. It's people that are responsible for democracy. So if we're not actively taking part or making time, albeit sometimes very painful, Um, then we will lose our democracy over time. It will erode because too much power and trust has been given to government. Do you think that on a personal level, we're sort of like, like we just want mommy and daddy to take care of us. Like we want to just trust that we're we're kind of lazy. Like we just want to do our own thing. And absolutely. Maybe we're set up like that. Maybe that's why it's not in school. Maybe it's not made a priority. It's sort of like, don't worry. They'll take, they're nice. Everyone's nice. (laughs) Everyone's going to take care of us. Well, you know, it's, that's that's exactly what it is though right and if you if you think about and i'll mess up the quote so i won't even bother but the whole concept of of being born into easy times if if Mm. we're born into easy times we're just kind of we come with this innate expectation that we've got it good (laughs) things are easy look at all these other countries at least we're not them Mm. uh you know we're we're canadians there's a lot of pride nothing seems to be too wrong and therefore there's a subliminal message there that there's no need to get too concerned about things because we've got it pretty good. Um, but then there's the other part that uh, just thinks, well, isn't that the politician's job? Like if, if I elected them into power and they're representing me as a constituent in their writing, then isn't that their job? Well, the MP that was elected to um, be uh, in the house for your writing uh, is on default if the people are not letting them know how they feel. So therefore the MP could maybe be acting in what he or she thinks is in best interest of their community because no one's telling them otherwise. If no one's paying attention and no one's voicing concerns, then yeah, it's left up to the MP and they could get it very, very wrong if people in their constituencies aren't letting them know what they think about certain issues or raising concerns about bills or motions or anything like that. Okay. What do you think of this NDP liberal in bed together thing? Uh, It's a disaster is what it is. (laughs) For lack of a better way to put it, it's a bloody disaster. Um, But there's a lot of confusion out there around what it actually means and and people are are tossing around the term coalition um it's actually not not a coalition it's a confidence and supply agreement and it's important to understand the difference between those two things because if it were a true coalition that would mean a complete merger of both parties to become one party with one leader Um, and that's not the case with this this is a confidence and supply agreement both parties still operate separate from one another both parties still have their own leader in place the agreement is uh, protection against a non-confidence vote uh, in exchange for um, support for more ndp uh, oriented policies and motions so a lot of people survival a survival move 
it's a survival move and, and it, it, you know, it's, it's a disaster, uh, because it's very clear that unless we have individual MPs from either the NDP or liberals start to push back, which I do believe we will see eventually, um, it's basically a green light for just about anything the NDP and the Liberals put on the table because there's enough of them in the House to reach that um, sweet spot of 170 votes to get to pass something. So and would be something that like Justin Trudeau would have approached them about? I would, I would imagine so. Like he's like, okay, I, I pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> There could be some moves to, to outs me because, you know, we, we we all had those things floating around our email, like sign this uh, or sign up this. Uh, what are they called? Uh, petitions. Sign your yeah. add your name to the petition. We're going to get them out. And I, I mean, I signed a couple of them. <laughs> I didn't I never know if it's going to do anything. Same. Yeah. But so is that so with that energy surrounding Justin Trudeau, is he thinking, OK, if someone's planning to outs me in some way, I've ticked off a lot of groups. People are organizing. People are waking up. That's why he would approach or create a situation where Jagmeet's got his back and then it's a, like you said, it's like a green light. Yeah, that's that's my gut. Um, mm. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall during that initial conversation mm. <laughs> between mm. Singh and, and Trudeau. But that's what my gut tells me is that this was a, a, a reach out from Trudeau to Singh to say, listen, if you want to avoid going to another election, which the NDP don't like elections because they're not a party that has a lot of funding. So elections are not something that uh, they can sustain as powerfully as other parties. Um, and anything to push back on the conservatives, uh, which are very, very different ideologies than NDP ideologies. So it makes sense as to why Singh agreed to it. Um, because it acts in his and his party's best interests as well, at least at surface level, uh, simply because there are things that the NDP have uh, wanted to put into play in Canada, election after election after election, but they can't get into power. And therefore, their policies don't ever really make it very far. Um, so things like pharmacare, dental care, universal basic income, those are all very NDP um, driven policies. So if there's now a chance that uh, they can get some of these things through because now they have more unanimous support from the liberals, it's a bit of a win-win situation for both of them. Um, but I think it's important to remember that uh, at surface level, this appears to be, if we take a look at why people vote for whether they're there are people out there voted for Trudeau that voted for Trudeau because they don't believe in more socialist type policies like the NDP, but they also can't bring themselves to vote for the conservatives. So therefore they landed on Trudeau and vice versa. There's a lot of people who voted NDP to completely avoid Trudeau because they despise him, what he stands for, how evil he has become over the last couple of years. And therefore they're like, oh, let's go with the fun TikTok guy. Uh, because he seems really nice. He's super cool. <laughs> and he's not, he's not a, he's not a jerk like Trudeau. So over you're going to have voters uh, that are not okay with this uh, new agreement because uh, they didn't vote for either the other party's platforms, but now they're kind of, their vote has also brought them in. If you are, let's say you're like a lifelong NDP person, would you be annoyed by this or would you be happy? I think if, if you are a, an NDP supporter through and through because you support their policy and their platform and what they have committed to delivering to Canadians and that's why you voted NDP, I think you'll be happy if with this new supply uh, and confidence agreement, because a lot of these things that probably would have never seen the light of day otherwise now have a fighting chance getting through. And if so, you're liberal, you'll like it because you got now the other party is supporting your boy. Yep. Okay. So yeah. Interesting. Keep them in power for another yeah. few years, protect yeah. them from the, from the conservatives. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah, but that, that's why it's so important. I think a lot of people approach the election day as if, well, what's, what's the point of my vote? If there's 28 million voters, registered voters in Canada, uh, what's the point of my vote? What's, what difference is it going to make? But we have to understand how our electoral system works because we operate on what's called a first-past-the-post electoral system, which means that we're not actually, when we go to the polls on election day, we're not voting for a prime minister. We're voting for an MP. And our MP uh, is then voted into the House to represent our physical geographical riding. So when we look at the importance of our vote, if we actually break down some of the ridings that they use, uh, the riding of Nanaimo and Lady Smith out in BC, and a lot of my examples on my Instagram to illustrate just how important voting is and how important informed voting is. Because what happened in this riding, uh, it's an NDP riding by a very narrow margin, only something like, I want to say like 1700 votes uh, was the, the difference between the NDP and the Conservatives. And then it went to the Liberals, Greens, and then at the bottom was PPC. So it's interesting about the number of PPC votes that came in in that particular riding, it was around like 3000. And it's safe to say that if the PPC wasn't a party, those votes probably typically would have been conservative votes. Um, but the reason why so many conservative votes ended up going to PPC is because a lot of true blue conservatives were not happy about the direction that Aaron O'Toole was taking in the last election. So here you have this narrow margin where there could have been another seat in the conservatives uh, for the conservatives in the house. It went to an NDP because there was enough PPC votes that took away from the conservatives um, mm. taking that seat. So our individual votes in every riding as an individual riding are so important. It's not, we're not, our vote isn't just pooled into this tank of, you know, I think we had something like 17 million vote uh, in the last election. It's not one vote up against 17 million other votes. It's one vote in your riding. And sometimes there's only like 60,000 votes mm. in your riding. So your individual yeah. contribution is, is important. So really the most important thing is to find out, to really research your riding. Yes. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, is, is, the, is the PPC, is it causing more damage than good at this point if you are someone who wants to get Justin Trudeau out of power? <laughs> if your sole focus is get Trudeau out, PPC is actually a bad thing. If your if your uh, focus is more, we got to completely buck the system and change how things are done, then PPC is probably something that a lot of people are going to put their weight behind because they're not playing the game that the other politicians are playing. Um, so there's pros and cons to PPC. I know that it was a big decision for people in the last election. Uh, there's a lot of, of folks that uh, said a vote for PPC is a vote for Trudeau. Uh, and in some writings, that was that was true. Uh, but it wasn't there weren't enough of them across the board in order to take that many seats away from the conservatives. Um, even in those handful of writings where the PPC did take a number of votes away from conservatives, still wasn't enough seats in the House to be able to to override the number of that the liberals got. Okay, bills. Okay. Bills, bills, bills. This bills, I find bills. the most confusing, all these different numbers and uh, <laughs> one, the bill one, two, three, I don't know what's going on. Um, I would love to talk about the bills that are of the most uh, importance to you right now and their implications. And I've yeah. got my penny, I write them down or else I forget. Like, <laughs> what the, you're talking about a bill, I forget which one you're talking about. <laughs> like five seconds in. Well, it's, it's interesting because this, this is another reason why people don't pay attention because there's so many bills. There are so many bills and there's so many ways in which bills can get introduced, whether into the House or into the Senate. Um, so it can feel very overwhelming to keep up with. <laughs> so I try to go through the ones, again, based on what's important to me, based on uh, what I see as being very conveniently lined up for other may uh, more behind the scenes nefarious agendas at play. How do these things factor in? Uh, can they become a part of this? Is this how all of this is going to happen is by way of these bills um, kind of sneaking their way along. And then at the end, they all add up to this one thing. Um, 
So there's something like, gosh, I want to say maybe 140 bills or something nutty like that before the House and the Senate right now, uh, which is like, what? Wow. 140? <laughs> how, how can there? Yeah, how can there be this many things going on at once? So it's no wonder why people just don't even bother paying attention. But it's important. So if you go onto ourcommons.ca um, and then go to the bills section, you can see. Sorry, what's, what's the website? Ourcommons.ca. Our commons. Yep. Okay. okay. And then go to the bills section in the menu. And there's two ways that you can break out that website. So there's one uh, where you can just see all of the bills in chronological numerical order, both in the House and in the Senate. And then there's another way that you can break it down so you can see how which bills are in first reading, which bills are in second reading, which bills are in committee stage, which bills are about to go to vote. So you can see the progress, uh, how many bills are getting close to being passed or given royal assent. So there's two different ways you can look at it, which also helps just understand what is very imminent right now. If you haven't been paying attention, then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, all these bills are about to go to vote. And it's mm. the first time I'm hearing from it or hearing about it. So bills that um, are sticking out to me, uh, there's a brand new bill that was just introduced. I believe it was last week. It's bill C-18. Um, this, I haven't uh, actually read the bill myself yet, but I've read the Coles notes. This feels very much like an extension of bill C-11, which was bill C-10 before the last election. Oh God, I'm already confused. I know, right? You've already said three different numbers. <laughs> yeah, three different numbers. And I'm talking about the same thing. Um, Bill C-18 is uh, called the Online News Media Act, uh, which is very largely targeting independent media outlets. Um, so uh, it feels very much like uh, independent media outlets that are, that are, let's just say, not taking part in the traditional mainstream media narrative. Mm. and uh, putting out content that uh, maybe empowers the average Canadian a little bit more than the Liberal government may want. Would, an example, uh, like, would Rebel News be an example of that? Rebel News okay. would be a okay. perfect example of okay. this. What about people um, like you? You're well, this is where I, up. yeah, and I'm watching this like a, like a hawk because I, I think I'll narrowly escape Bill C-11 um, which was largely focused around, well, I would say it was under the guise of uh, helping more Canadian content creators have more visibility. But there was a lot of read between the lines in that bill that, that caused a lot of people concern. Um, but the Online Media Act, um, I could absolutely fall into that category. But it looks like they are putting in some sort of framework in place as to... Uh, determining whether or not you do fall into that based on your revenue from your news agency based on putting media out. So I don't know. It's it's brand new. Bills develop reading by reading. But I'll be watching that one like a hawk. So C-18 uh, could uh, affect independent like yep. influencers slash. Yes. Wow. So yep. how does that not just, I mean, because if you're how just- How does that uh, not freak everyone out? Yeah, if you're just a human with an opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, it's mind blowing stuff. And, and this is where it's amazing to me that this isn't something we can all agree on. We'd assume that we're in yeah. Canada, like that, that we can go online, start a podcast, start a platform, whatever, and have, you can just share your opinion. Share you're saying your that opinion. This could affect that. Mm -hmm. What could the, what could the implications be? I believe they're going to use the angle of misinformation and disinformation um, and the uh, dangers that these types of establishments can cause when it comes to people like the fringe minority. I can see how they're going to position it mm. um, in order to get public buy-in where public uh, people in the public who may not understand <laughs> some of the other things that are happening behind the scenes, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like a lot of those people were really motivated or empowered by what they were seeing online and different like they can position it in in a way to get public buy-in. Oh my god! If the public isn't doing their due diligence in understanding, uh, just take uh, the new value.
So then it's like, okay, if you go online and say, you know, maybe this conversation we're having now, would we be information criminals? <laughs> Could be political gangsters. Oh I don't know what they'd oh call God. us. I think I think in the states they were they were uh, framed as domestic terrorists. It's like oh what God. on earth, oh. you know? Wow. But it's it's so important that we look at like what are, what is the angle for them to do this and and what is the purpose? I mean, we all know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that ratings just keep dropping in the mainstream. I mean, people are are catching on. Even people that still think people like you and I are crazy, they're they're starting to catch on that the media is maybe not being super honest about yeah. uh, what they're sharing. Um, but you can't deny that they're losing their steam. But the, if, if, if I was the liberal government and there was a threat that something may happen to my main source of voice and public image, uh, AKA the CBC, I would be concerned because more and more people are starting to think, well, they've proven that they're not being truthful or, or factual about what they're sharing. So what else is out there? Who's, who's sharing another side of this and more eyes now than ever before are looking for independent media outlets to give them something else to chew on or something else to consider, or at least just round out, um, the, the bias or the propaganda on one side of things like, give me the other side of this, give me the other angle. And then God forbid, we let the person make a free decision on, okay, well, this is the information I have collected as a grown ass adult, then allow me to discern between what I believe is real and true and what is not. The government doesn't want us to be able to do that. They want to be able to put something in front of us, convince us of something, rally our support and keep them in power. God. Okay. I'm, bo I'm underlining C18. That's a big one. <laughs> it's a big it. one. Yeah. C eighteen, which was uh, which was probably C eleven, which was probably C ten. Oh my God! Okay. Yeah, they're C kind of all. Yeah, Bill C ten um, was the uh, original uh, on uh, basically reforming the CRTC um, and what is considered a broadcasting agency uh, and how to include more Canadian content and uh, there's a lot of uh, poorly framed and poorly worded sections of that bill that caused an uproar. Uh, and then the election happens. So when an election happens, everything in the House and Senate gets dissolved uh, and then essentially has to be restarted in the next election, which is why it came back as Bill C-11. I know that causes a uh, lot of confusion. Okay. Uh, so when they, they brought it back into the House in February, that's why it changed to Bill C-11 from C-10. Okay. All right. So C-18, a big one. Is there anything else that's on your radar that you're following closely that's got some concerning? Yeah. 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 Okay. I know I know we chatted about this one briefly on on our on our last chat together. Uh, C223 and S233 uh, is the Universal Basic Income Acts. Sorry, sorry. Um, C223 and S233. S233. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And these are uh, Universal Basic Income Act which uh, when they first introduced it, I thought, okay, there's there's no way that something this costly would pass given the nature of the debt that we have incurred. And as a result of the debt we've incurred from the government printing money, um, the inflation that has happened as a result because our dollar has been devalued and therefore we need more dollars to buy the same thing. Everything gets more expensive. That's inflation 101. <clears throat> but <laughs> now that we have this supply agreement with the NDP and the liberals, my head did kind of a, oh God, it, it, this could very well be a thing. Um, and then I watched the budget meeting um, painfully, and uh, I think to the tune of, of over $500 billion in uh, more spending, 80% uh, of which they say they're just rolling over from existing debt. So 20% will be new debt, 80% will be rolled over from existing debt. In other words, no clear path to balance ourselves. Uh, which means there's no clear path to solving inflation. 
But it also illustrated to me that this government is not hesitant to keep spending. So is universal basic income something that we could see? Maybe. Uh, but I think it's important that we uh, understand the pros and cons of this because I get I get pushback on stuff like this sometimes when I'm talking about it online from people saying don't don't you want social programs like don't you care about people like what about people that need help um, and opposing sweeping bills of this magnitude does not equal not caring about people or or not wanting social programs of any kind. I am a person who's of the belief that we need to look at the root cause of why this problem exists in the first place. Why do we need a solution like universal basic income in a country like Canada? Why are so many people living below the poverty line? Why are houses so expensive? Why does it cost me $2.30 to buy a lemon at the grocery store? Why are people having difficulty finding good, higher-paying jobs? What, what are we doing in our education system that's not setting people up for true, sustainable success in adulthood? Um, what are we doing for people's self-confidence and their understanding that they can achieve whatever they want to achieve? What are we doing about people's mental health who have fallen so, so far down um, because of things that are happening in our world or, or not having enough resources to support them through something and they're no longer capable or don't have the energy to um, get out there and, and find success or find solutions. What are we doing about all of that? And, and this is where I get frustrated with more leftist political ideologies um, because in, instead of really understanding how did we get here, and what are some things that we could potentially start putting our energy behind reverse engineering? The solution is let's throw money at it. <laughs> Without understanding, everybody pays for it. As a taxpayer in Canada, you pay for it, which means, okay, are my taxes going to increase or is the government going to print money? Either way, I as the citizen pay. I'm either paying through taxes or I'm paying through inflation. But either way, I'm on the hook to pay for it. So it's not that I disagree with social programs at all. I believe that for the people who truly need it, we have to have support in place for people. But when we are creating national sweeping programs, I don't think it can be denied that this welcomes more dependence on the government, which means less people uh, feeling inclined or willing to get out there and find solutions or do things differently or change careers or move to a different area and keep that power within themselves. Uh, and that's in, in super basic, highly generalized um, description, the difference between left and right. Mm -hmm. Left is big government, uh, more control, more policy, more dependence right is lesser government, but then that responsibility then falls onto the people uh, in, a, in a larger way to be able to um, navigate their own lives. Like when I hear the term universal basic income, I, I always think about things that like Elon Musk has mentioned in, in various chats he's been a part of where, you know, as robotics and AI take over and do all the jobs that humans used to do, as we're seeing more and more of that. Um, and now he's got like the self-driving trucks which that yeah. freaks me out. Imagine when there's no more truckers. <laughs> I know. What are we going to do? But there's go, so many hey, things that intersect. Yeah. You get all these people who um, are going to be out of work and, and they just, uh, the universal. So is the universal income maybe setting the stage for this next wave of millions of people who just won't have jobs. Yeah. And then there's the implications of that, of like, then you're not having a sense of purpose and, yeah. and you're just, you know, it, it's such a loaded, a loaded topic, it's but big. Uh, it's yeah. big and it's, it's multifaceted um, and there's a lot of intersections to it because uh, on one hand, there's people that legitimately need a solution like that. Hands down, um, that's it. The, this, the government's got to come to the table for these folks. Uh, I think it, it does create a concern about what, are, what could we potentially be positioning ourselves for. 
um, what do we maybe not know enough about right now or, or be able to foresee about what's coming? Um, because if that's the case and universal basic income becomes a thing and it, it becomes sweeping in, in nature, what do we then have to give up as individual free citizens in exchange for universal basic income? Mm. How much do we have to abide by or fall in line with or agree to or comply with in order to receive that government funding? And that's where the rabbit hole starts, right? And, and when I look at bills, um, it's a big factor in, okay, how does this line up with the uh, Great Reset? And I think that anybody that's <laughs> denying the Great Reset is a thing has not spent more than five seconds looking. It's right in front of us. It's public information. <laughs> the fact that we even have politicians that are still in denial um, just speaks to uh, how deeply committed people are in their perception of our reality uh, and how unwilling they are to let that reality shatter in order for this new truth to present itself. Um, but it's, it's undeniable that it's on the table. It's undeniable that we are most definitely moving in that direction. So when I look at bills, I ask myself, it's like, does this help set this up? Does this help move us closer to this idea of what I honestly blatantly refer to as global communism, otherwise known as <laughs> the great reset? Does this, does this instill more dependence in the government? Does this make the government uh, more important for the average citizen to rely on for their day-to-day -day life? Um, or does this move us more towards uh, freedom and um, autonomy to make our own decisions and, and create a life that we would like to create for ourselves? Uh, so the UBI bill for sure is a concern to me too. Is it um, a stretch to say the government wants us to be on our knees begging for our monthly universal basic income check? Your, yeah, your, I don't think money. it's a stretch at all. Not with this government. And and when we when we add everything up, we look at Trudeau's behavior during the last election, and we look at the intentional division he caused um, with the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. We look at the fact that uh, he does not deny any of the conspiracies. He, he just would rather chastise those who tout them. Um, I don't see any effort being made to bring people together from this government. I don't see any effort being made to mend relationships, to, to unite Canadians again, which can only lead me to believe that he wants this. And that's what scares me. And I'll be honest in saying it scares me because there's, even though every week there's more and more people kind of lifting their heads up from this very deep slumber that we've all experienced and thinking, whoa, <laughs> how did I not see this coming? Or how did I not realize this? And, and I get people messaging me every week on my, on my social platform saying, oh my dear God, like what is happening right now? How did I not see this? Um, it's great, but there's still not enough of us in order to be able to start tipping the scales. However, the one positive lining that I've chosen to see out of this allegiance between the NDP and the liberal, knowing that unless there's some extreme circumstance, we're likely stuck with Trudeau until 2025 election. The way that I'm choosing to look at this is that this buys us time. This buys us time to help more people get educated on our political system. This buys us time for more people to be able to see through some of the really offside, inappropriate, condescending, poor leadership styles of our prime minister. It gives people more time to read between the lines on what they may be seeing in the mainstream. So while it's literally nauseating to uh, realize that he's likely going to be our leader for another three and a half years, knowing the carnage he has single-handedly created in the last six months alone. Um, it's a, it's a very heavy thought to sit with that. We gotta, we gotta keep sludging through these really hard, dark times right now as Canadians. 
but I choose to see it as like, all right, I probably can do very little, if nothing at all, to control that fact right now as an individual, because we need more support in the House of Commons in order to oust. And I don't see that happening, but I'd be welcome to be proved wrong there. Um, therefore, what can we do with this time that we now have three and a half years? How well can we organize? How, how much can we get people involved? Uh, how much movement can we start to, to get? Because the, the thing with any type of, uh, you know, political overthrow from like one side to the next usually takes proper organization and organization is actually what the people are terrible at. We kind of sit in our own homes, rant about stuff at our own dinner tables and, you know, talk about all the things that we hate or all the things that we wish we had, but like, there's no orchestration of this from Mm -hmm. coast to coast, which is what is required in order to start really gaining momentum and forward movement um, and start tipping the scales again. So three and a half years, I think we'll be able to accomplish that and then some, but it's going to take us having that focus on that. Well, all of this chaos happens um, in our parliament. I find that frustrating. Like even the last rally I went to a few weeks ago and there were like two different groups apparently like against each other, arguing and bickering and, you know, and I'm going, oh my God, we can't even, we're all on the same side. We can't even get along here. Yeah. We're like the freedom people. It's, it's frustrating. It's also just, it's wild to watch. And, um, I'm here in Alberta. So, uh, our premier had his leadership review speech event thing on Saturday and I tuned in on zoom. That's, that's a whole story. I won't even get into it on this episode, but he was talking about the division that has existed in Alberta in the conservatives, which is why he created the United conservative party to bring everybody together. But the conservatives are still very divided here in Alberta, just like they're very divided in the federal election between conservatives and PPC. And it got me thinking about the freedom movement and how even that is divided. And, and I, I get comments sometimes being like, oh, I liked you until you said this. It's like, what, what is that? (laughs) We can't, we can't be, you know, waving our freedom flags and then trying to control the way that another person chooses to express their freedoms and their opinions and their ideology. It's like, you can disagree with me and you cannot like what I say, but your effort to try and silence me or to bring, bring me back into your comfort zone of what you want me to do as a freedom fighter is not helpful. There's a lot of freedom fighters that I don't resonate with their style per se, but you're damn right. I will fist bump them, have a beer with them and be like, how are we going to fix this mm-hmm. together? Right. And, yeah. and that's what we all need. We all need to be like, okay, maybe I don't like what you said about this topic. Maybe I don't like the fact that you talk about this. Maybe I don't like the fact that you do whatever, but I see you. I respect you. I know what you're fighting for. I'm fighting for the same thing. We're different. That's pretty awesome. Let's figure out how to work together. That's, that's the thing that we need a runway for right now. So we got three and a half years to figure that part out. (laughs) Sarah Swain, a lot of people listening, probably 100% of them want to have a beer with you. We should do that one day. I'm just saying, maybe you got, you guys are doing like zoom beers, maybe where, you know, you follow Sarah and then, you know, you've got your platform and your, all your, your stuff going on. People are going to want to sit and just hang with you. I feel honored to hang with you. I love it. That's a great idea. We should do zoom beers, right? Maybe that's the thing. If everyone just sat down and had a beer together, maybe that's how the conversation starts. You know, there's some truth to that because I believe that that was a reason why they kept shutting down the restaurants. Cause when people gather over drinks, right? Yes. We can, we can accomplish some things. That's right. I see the wheels. Maybe turning. that's how we do it. Yeah. We'll get all, we'll get all liquored up and save and save Canada. That's, that's going to be our strategy for the next three and a half years. Um, <laughs> best place to find me uh, on Instagram at either I am Sarah Swain or uh, trailblazer media group trailblazer media group is, is definitely where I host my, uh, what I like to call educational, uh, political rants. So I cover a number of things, but, um, usually based on being out there. So I don't have like an agenda of this is what I cover in April versus May. Uh, I really observe what's happening. Uh, and I, I take note of very popular, uh, patterns that I'm seeing coming through my DMS and, um, then therefore, 
uh, form my opinions and my position on things. And it's, it's just meant to help people think it's not meant to turn in any direction or other, but rather just open dialogue, give people something else to chew on and sit with and think about. Um, and more than anything to empower people, you know, they're one person, they absolutely have the power to do something. They have the power to enact change. And an example of that is James Topp, um, a veteran that is uh, walking across Canada right now. I interviewed him last week on the podcast. And you think about things like that when, when so many people feel powerless around what they can do or what they feel like they can't do. There's always something. <laughs> no, not all of us are going to march all the way across Canada to make a point. But I do hope that my platform at least makes people think differently about our political playing fields, their involvement in it, and more importantly, their power in it. You can connect with your new political BFF, Sarah Swain. <laughs> She's she gets it. Right? You're the best kid. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for this conversation. You're amazing. And uh, I know we'll chat again soon. I think we will too. <laughs> Please share this episode, go to the Instagram account, make a comment, help out the algorithms, and of course, buy yourself some Z-Stack, my new partner. This episode is powered by Z-Stack, the supplement invented by Dr. Zelenko. Get a discount when you use promo code KID, K-I-D, and make sure to use my link, zstack.ca slash K-I-D. Thank you for supporting the companies that support me. It means more than you can imagine. We'll see you on the next one.